I hope I don't fall. <laughs> I hope I don't die. Hopefully someone will find me if I do. <laughs> Welcome to Stand Up Pedal Action. This year, Supa raced at the original Growler in Gunnison, Colorado. And while it wasn't the first time for us, it was for one of our friends. On this show, we're going to be bringing you interviews with pros, with uh, not quite pros, and other people with lots of racing experience. But what is it like for your very first race, especially on a really big day? Here at Supa, we talk Jessica Copeland, friend of the show, local school teacher, and a longtime mountain biker, into riding the 32 mile, 4,000 foot elevation gain original Growler as her first ever mountain bike race. We're happy to say she finished, and though it wasn't exactly on the podium, her time was still almost an hour faster than the first time I rode it, which I think says a lot. We caught up with Jessa after the race to talk to her about the experience of her first bike race and just about biking in general. This episode was recorded live from the KOA in Gunnison, Colorado. So you're going to hear some background noise, but let's be honest, the KOA is a great place. And now you get to join us fireside for our chat with Jessa Copeland. Oh, we're in this KOA campground, which is awesome. There's a ton of dogs and children and tons of RVs. For those who can't tell later, we're actually sitting out under the stars, perfect Colorado night. We're all wearing puffies. It is gorgeous and clear and still and silent around the fire pit here in the KOA, Gunnison, Colorado. But we're all here because of a little bike race that just happened called the original Growler. Woo! Josh, why don't you give us a rundown? What's the Growler? So, the Growler has been many things over uh, quite a few years. The latest iteration, post-COVID here, or uh, maybe still in the midst of some COVID, is three races. Uh, there's the 32-mile original, which was supposedly the first race done out here, um, also known as the Half Growler in past years. There's the 20-mile Pup race, mm-hmm. what I'm calling it. Yeah, yeah the pup, pup, the pup race, and then there's the 40 mile big bad, uh, which was taken down from 64 miles, uh, which was the full growler in past years. Uh, apparently, there was some some complaining about that being a bit too long and arduous for some people. Uh, although for many years it was claimed to be the hardest mountain bike race, at least in Colorado compared to the Leadville 100, which was not, not quite as hard. And I've, I've heard from many people of professional caliber who have done both races saying that the Growler was hands down a harder race at 64 miles and change, because it doesn't include you know the three and a half-ish miles to and from town that is a pseudo not race. <laughs> <laughs> That's the top line. Now, We've got Jessa with us today because while Josh and I have previous growlers under our belts, Jessa did not. And as a result, she makes the perfect candidate for one of the things that we wanted to do here on Supa, which is talk to people who have just started first race, first try, and we want to know how this experience went. So, first of all, Jessa, how did Josh's description 
pretty dry, pretty tame, match with the reality that you stepped into yesterday. Yeah, well, I had some friends tell me um, it was only 4,000 feet of elevation gain and it was not. <laughs> uh, it was hard, it was very hard. I can imagine that the 64 mile race would be way harder than the Leadville 100 just based on half of that that I did yesterday. But gosh, it was really cool though. I'm glad I did it. It was mile 20, my mental space went like whew, down because some guy told me wrong about when the next aid station came. <laughs> so then I went to a dark space, but then I came out of it. <laughs> And I finished five hours and 41 minutes later. <laughs> Which is still an immense achievement. This is your first mountain bike race. Yes. Ever. Yes. And you've grown as a cyclist over the years. Yes. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, where your roots in cycling were and what has progressed to bring you to this point yeah. of now racing the original growler? Great question. I would say my roots in cycling actually go back to my parents taking me out to the Slick Rock when I was like a middle schooler and it was just super fun. We would just do fun little bike trips like that as a family out in Utah and just here and there. And then I lived in Junction for a bit as a teacher and mountain biked there with a crew of cool women who would just go out on the trails after a school day, which was super fun. Um, and then I kind of stopped mountain biking for a while. And I took it back up when I moved back to the springs, really. And um, I would say probably like two summers ago is when I really picked it back up. Because I met you guys and Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> and from then, I just, it was just so... It's so fun. It's like such an outlet and such, it feels like a roller coaster, your own personal roller coaster. I feel like it's something that I just really enjoy. And thanks to a lot of tips from you guys too, I just feel like I have gotten a lot better at technical stuff and just like riding in general and had some pretty intense falls and kept going. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're not necessarily going to talk about how any members of present company or individuals affiliated with Supa may or may not have contributed to any of those falls. Um, that doesn't need to be discussed just now. No. <laughs> not even a little bit. Um, but you've never tried a bike race before. No. Were you intimidated stepping into something that was 30 miles long? Yeah. And change. And change. <laughs> yeah. My goal was to finish, and I finished. <laughs> yes, you did. You did. You were not even last. Yeah. Not even by a little bit. I'm glad I wasn't last. <laughs> nope. Not even close. And few people out there had as big of a smile as you did. <laughs> this is true, actually. Some guy said that on the course, too. <laughs> but it was fun. It was, it was fun. It was hard. <laughs> I liked all the bananas at the aid stations. <laughs> Did you partake of any of the pickle juice? No. No. I wasn't feeling that. Yeah. I, all I wanted at every aid station was a banana. Mm. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would be partaking in a bike race? Never. 
Ever, ever. Why not? I don't know. I just never thought I would until two years ago when I saw you guys do it. And I was like, this looks actually kind of fun. And then I signed up this year and then I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that might have been a bad idea. But it was a good idea. (laughs) It was a good idea because you survived it. I survived. What would you say if somebody else in your position or maybe your position a year or two ago came to you and said, hey, I think I want to try a mountain bike race. Should they do it, first of all? Yes. <laughs> okay, why? Because it's just a really cool experience. It, there was a camaraderie out there that, like, I haven't... I don't know, I've done other types of races, like half marathons and stuff. Mm-hmm. This felt different. It was just, like, everybody was so nice, so chill. The camaraderie was so fun. And it was just a different type of a race because, also, you're out by yourself in the middle of nowhere for a lot of this race, (laughs) I felt, at least. I felt, like, when I did the half marathons and stuff, I was with so many other people. And this was so fun because it's, like, you're doing your thing. And then you're coming back and then there's people and then they're cheering you on and you run into all these different people <laughs> on the trail and but most of the time I felt like I was like uh I hope I don't fall <laughs> I hope I don't die hopefully someone will find me if I do <laughs> but and I none didn't of those things happened none of those things happened yeah yeah it's wonderful <laughs> so if somebody else and Josh has some more questions we'll get to in a second but it if somebody came to you and they said, well, wait a minute. Yeah, so you rode around, like, I can go ride 30 miles in the woods and not pay somebody 100 bucks for a race. What made it different? Great question. I just feel like it's, you get to be part of something. That's what it feels like. It's like, this is cool. There's a bunch of people that came from all over to come do this. And then we got to be a part of this whole thing. And it was just fun. It was really fun to cross the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) What did that experience feel like? Like, talk me through those last couple moments of the race. Well, when I saw the finish line, there was a guy in front of me that was probably doing a practice loop for the next day. And he was like, you're so close. (laughs) I was like, I am. (laughs) And then I started going faster. And then (laughs) past the, like, little blue things that, like show your time and it just felt and everybody was cheering for me and my little dog was there which was nice (laughs) and it just felt really fun it was just like an accomplishment like a pretty big accomplishment for me so it's cool to be part of something like that to have a physical goal Mm -hmm. like that you're like I would like to do this this particular event or like race or something and to work and train and then do it and actually finish. That's really a fun feeling. Hmm. That that is that's a powerful feeling, and I think it hooks a lot of people. Can you think of any other areas in life that you've felt that, or or that that ties in in some respect? I mean, I feel like any like goal setting type of thing, where you're like, I want to do this, and to get to there, I do this, this, and this. I guess getting my master's. Mm. (laughs) because that was like a goal of wanting to so I teach English as a second language and I wanted to do that after I got back from overseas and got a job and then found out I needed to get a master's to continue with my job and so I was like yeah this is what I want to do and so it took five years but did it Mm. and it felt really good to finish it like the it's the goal thing 
and to like make yourself, I don't know, to train yourself to do something. It's cool. So yeah, I'd say in a lot of different areas. <laughs> you, you mentioned how cycling is, uh, in a sense, an outlet for you. Tell us a little bit about who you are out, outside of cycling and why, why you need an outlet at times. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I teach. I have, like, the regular teacher schedule, but it can be pretty stressful at times. And especially, honestly, especially this last year, like, with COVID and stuff. Like, with school going all weird last year. Like, how we didn't have school. And <laughs> it was such an outlet, just, like, I think I rode, like, every day for months. Mm. Um, and just, it was a way to kind of even process what was happening, like with schools and just like with all the different feelings that I was feeling, I was like with everything that was happening, you know, it was a little bit of shock, a little bit of grief, of course, just with the year just totally like dissipating and ending and no saying goodbye to anybody like last year. So that was just, it was, it was hard, but cycling really helped. It was just something I did every day because there was really nothing else to do. <laughs> and it was so helpful also to be outside. Like that's part of it is like doing something really physical in the outdoors, just where nobody's around. So you can process just any feelings that you're feeling of just, just grief, honestly, I would say. For me, that has been really apparent in the last year through the whole COVID season and everything. Yeah, I mean, everybody has felt certain weight through COVID, but you as a, as a teacher in a public school teaching ESL for elementary schoolers, mm -hmm. it, that, that was a tough place to be. I mean, can you... Can you share a little bit of what, what it was like when COVID first came in and how that shifted everything in the teaching world? Oh yeah. It like, so end of, gosh, March last year, it felt like it all happened within a week. And then we were out of school and they thought it was only gonna be like a couple weeks. And then it was the whole rest of the year. And what we were doing, basically we did not have the, just the things that we needed to, to be able to really teach with all the, the kids didn't have one-to-one -one technology yet. They didn't have anything like that. So we did not have a way to touch base with kids. But so our goal towards the end of last year was just to be like, okay, check in on the families, make sure they're safe. And we're going to give them a packet like every week and they'll have to do the packet. So that's what they did. And it was just kind of like, I don't know, kind of like a triage <laughs> You were teaching situation. vicariously through packets? Yes. Like paper and, packets. Yeah, paper packets. And because we didn't have the technology yet or anything like that. So the whole district, that right after that happened, they're like, we have to get every kid um, a device. And so now every kid has their own computer. They have a device that they have. And so the teachers can teach live stream. 
So we started the year, this the school year, this past year. We started out and then, you know, we had to do all these quarantines and everything. And we were out for a bit of the school uh, year just doing the quarantines. And as we we were doing the quarantines, we still had to teach. So we had to do the live stream classes um, and the kids had to attend. And the hardest thing with that was just getting a lot of the kids to attend and actually come to these classes when they're in their home environment. So that was really hard. I feel like the thing, I don't know, I, I feel like we're gonna see the, the repercussions of everything just down the road, just with these kids. And especially, I just think about the years that are so critical for education, specifically I think about like third graders who have experienced that this year. And I mean, the ones that really need to get those foundational skills of reading together before moving on to fourth and fifth grade. Um, And I just think that this year has been really hard for those kids. I mean, they've worked really hard, but, but still it's just, and everybody's done the best that they can. The teachers were so amazing at adapting. Like there's a lot of teachers who just had to, we had to adapt like crazy fast to technology to all of a sudden, okay, we're using this program and this, and now we have to teach these kids and we're getting observed on this and we're getting, you know, um, all these different things. And so the teachers did a phenomenal, phenomenal job of just adapting, I would say. And I mean, the district and the leadership, they, they did a good job of just making sure everything also was what it needed to be. But gosh, it was a hard year. (laughs) Uh, I hope we don't have to wear masks (laughs) next year. (laughs) So Jessa, it sounds like, uh, you really needed an outlet yeah. over the last year in particular. Totally. And yeah, you shared a little bit about what that was was like for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being able to, to escape for a bit. Although I do have one question about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would say, okay, you're in a reasonably high-stress job anyway. Yeah. Like now it's significantly higher stress, mm-hmm. and you're going to pick a sport that is challenging and hard and exhausting and you're not good at yet, but you want to be better. So talk mm-hmm. me through that. Cause some people would say, um, screw that bath bombs and Chardonnay. <laughs> well, gosh, I don't know. I just love biking specifically mountain biking. And I think it's always been like that ever since I had like my first trip to the desert, like, mm-hmm. and I've just enjoyed it. And I think that's part of it. I also know about myself, like when I have high stress, I need to physically exert myself. I need to get out and be active. And this is a wonderful way of doing it. And it's super fun and is really challenging, like mentally, but like in a different way than my job, which is nice. So it's kind of like puzzle solving. outdoor puzzle solving (laughs) in some ways (laughs) I like it no that's good but that's something that you know like everybody relaxes in different ways obviously but that's one of the things that is very common about people who do ride is that it's the place they go to get sane again but if you break it down 
you know, maybe from the outside, it doesn't always look inherently obvious. It's like, wait, you're going to get more stressed in a different way and that's better for you. Right. But it sounds like that is very much what works about biking for you. Totally. So what, uh, what's next in your cycling ambitions (laughs) now that you've done one race? I don't know. I was like, maybe another one, but I don't know which one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, yeah, we got to ask that first. Now you have one real official race under your belt, which, by the way, well done on just stepping right into the fire. <laughs> it was a very, very real race at a very real distance on your yeah. first go round. not the friendliest race to start with. <laughs> no, it's not the friendliest race to start with. But it was yeah, you beautiful. jumped right in. Do you want to do another one? I think I, I think it could be fun. Okay. Yeah. All Who right. knows? Just for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Longer, harder, shorter? Do you know? Probably not longer. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Uh, But yeah, who knows? It was fun. It was a cool little, it was a cool experience just to be out there with like a number. Mm Mm-hmm. Right there on the front of the bike. Yeah. Yeah. And then got the socks. I love my socks. (laughs) She's got the socks. Actually, you can't tell us at home, but she's actually wearing the socks right now. Yeah. And they look very cozy. They are. <laughs> so are there any other areas besides cycling that you see as, as an outlet? Hmm. Yeah, I would say actually art. I don't do it a lot, but I, it is an outlet like painting and like watercolor and stuff like that, which is super fun for me too. That's an outlet in a different way. Maybe when I need to like chill. <laughs> Not when I need to, like, go be super active. <laughs> when you filled the endorphin tank. Yeah, totally. So were there any moments in the race today where you thought, this is not going to happen? Like, I'm, I, I don't see the end of this going well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was that last hill <laughs> right before, uh, bro- or is it collarbone? Mm-hmm. Right before, I almost call it broken collarbone. Uh, <laughs> right before collarbone. <laughs> yes, that hill. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> but I was like, no, I can do this. <laughs> For reference, those who don't know the course, Jessa is referencing something that actually I think probably happens a lot in racing. Josh can speak to this more than most because he's done more racing than any of us. But Jessa is speaking about a moment of not being sure that she can do it on literally the last hill at mile 31 of 32. Yes. (laughs) Right before it's all over, you're feeling like there's no way. Yeah. It's so funny because I'm like, I'm like, I know I can finish this, but then I'm like also, there's no way I can finish this. The mind is a powerful tool. Yeah, I think honestly, that was the most interesting thing about the race was just the mental space that you can get in. Because I feel like physically I was, I was okay. The mental space was where I was like a little like, I need to train this. I don't know how you train that. Like, that's a question for you guys. <laughs> how do you? Well, in, in some respects... I think we fall on different ends of the curve, Jason and I, Mm. Mm -hmm. where Jason likes to know the data. Yeah. I like to be aware Mm -hmm. of where you are and what's going on and how your pace is and what's coming next. 
Yeah. I'm a data-driven rider for something like this. Like, I literally printed out the elevation profile of the race and taped it to my handlebars. And I had broken down the race ahead of time. And I knew exactly the average miles per hour I needed to be for every major segment. Wow. And so all I was doing the whole day was I was, whenever I thought I felt tired, whenever I thought I felt like I was feeling strong, I would just look down at the head unit on my bike and see mm -hmm. whether or not I was on my number. Oh, and then I would just have to find a way to push myself and say like, all right, you're too slow. You need to be at 11 miles an hour right now. Like push it. Oh my gosh. But that was the, that was one way that I've learned to avoid that mental swamp of, yes. I want a pizza. <laughs> I want a beer. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in the desert. Yes. <laughs> Josh, on the other hand, treats things a little different. I, I feel like I'm more of a wild card. Yeah. <laughs> in that what motivates me changes consistently. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's someone's coming up on me from behind or whether there's somebody off in the distance, mm -hmm. um, both of those can rotate between motivation and defeat, uh, depending on who, who they are and what's going on. Um, feeling, feeling cramps at different times, uh, that can be very discouraging. And, you know, feeling like oh, I didn't, didn't get enough nutrition, I didn't time it right, or I, I didn't get my electrolyte balance right. Um, all those can be fairly self-defeating. And that, like, a race is a consistent mental game of how do you overcome all of those doubts and frustrations and uh, the different messages that are coming from people cheering and riders around you and just the trail and you see a giant hill coming up. I tend to try to just block most of it out and focus on the trail ahead of me, keep my eyes, you know, 10, 15 feet ahead and head down, smile on, pedals engaged. <laughs> and there are times that, you know, just pushing everything else out of my mind and going to the, the void space, so to say, uh, is exactly what needs to happen. And there are times where I do try to tap into uh, that energy that people share with you. You know, when people are cheering you on, that's, that can be so motivating. Um, yeah. Or when you do have somebody coming up on you, that can be really motivating as well. I, I'm still all over the place. I mean, I've been racing quite a while and I can't pin down exactly what happens to me in a race. I know I don't like knowing data. <laughs> I don't like to know how fast I'm going. I don't like to know the time. Uh, I have it by computer, but I don't look at it at all during the race. And, you know, maybe that's to some detriment, but I feel that when I do pay attention to numbers, I get more discouraged. So I, for the most part, try to find that zone, that quiet place, and pour myself into it. Yeah. I may also sing songs or have stuff going in my head some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Might have had some Beastie Boys like running through my head partway through the ride today. That's awesome. <laughs> what Did you feel like you have come away from this race with something that you would use next time? I think like I, I like this is this is what happens also and whenever I run because 
I have to have, I have to just look like 10 feet ahead to the thing that I see. And I'm like, I can make it there, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like stuff like that. Um, I think maybe something like that. I don't know. I, <laughs> I did see two people I know on the course and did talk to them. So that <laughs> may have been my time. <laughs> but it was really fun. I like seeing people I know in different places and it was fun to like see two different people I knew on the course. I was like, Oh my gosh, what? (laughs) So probably not stopping to talk to people I know would be a good (laughs) thing. (laughs) But yeah, I think just like looking ahead and probably not looking at the watch and maybe not even knowing how far or how high I'm going to go. Cause that also like had an effect. So yeah, I don't know. You know, if, if stopping to talk to somebody for a minute is, is what you need to do, there's nothing wrong with that. No, that's true. Because <laughs> ultimately, this should be... It was fun. ...a joyous venture. It was. The funniest part was the guy that took a shot of bourbon after the... Um, what was that part? Skull, Skull Canyon? Skull Pass. Skull Pass. <laughs> yeah. The lady's like, anyone want bourbon? I was like, definitely not. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And the guy was like, uh, yeah, I would like a shot. It's like, okay. I think I beat him. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. If you drink bourbon, you lose. <laughs> In <a race. laughs> well, it is now 10 o'clock here in the KOA, which means we've hit quiet hours. And since we're in a field <laughs> of tents, we should probably shut this down here pretty soon. Jessa, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks, you guys. Um, yeah, this is very exciting. Congratulations on a great start to your racing career. Oh, my gosh. Woohoo! <laughs> so, so proud of you. Yep. <laughs> Not Thanks, at you all guys. sad that we sandbagged you into this. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's what we like to hear. If you want to know more about stand-up pedal action, you can check us out online at supa.bike. That's S-U-P-A dot B-I-K-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.